Hello, 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 hello. I'm just having a big, big stretch. How are you? It's Sunday, the 16th of July. It's all nice and overcast, so I don't think it's going to be too hot and sunny today, which is good news for me because I don't like the sun too much. Um, how are you? How are you doing? Are you, are you had a good week? Have you had a good weekend? Uh, what have you been up to? Write in and let me know. I do like hearing from you. Um, yeah, I, I've, I've, I've been mad busy this week. Um, I've been doing like quite a few workshops. I've been developing other workshops, and um, yeah, I've just been generally kind of busy. Um, so uh, I've got quite a lot to talk to you about. And uh, one little thought I had is, um, you know, this is an experiment. This little spin-off podcast is a little experiment, and um, let me know whether you like it. As a result, I'm liking it. So um, that's probably good enough reason to do it, even if uh, even if you're sitting there hating it. I'm having a nice time. Um, what was I going to say there? Oh yeah, this is an experiment. So I, I was thinking back to to some of the uh, shows that I've done, and I think they sound all right. But I noticed that I'm speaking a bit too fast for my brain, which keeps the energy up and stuff. But I'm going to chill today. I'm going to chill. I'm going to relax and just just be here and talk a bit slower. And if I start going faster, it'll be because I'm getting worked up about something. But I'm, I'm just going to take it easy. I'm going to chill. It's Sunday. It's Sunday. So, you know, get yourself a cup of tea. Put your feet up. Get the Sunday papers out. And we'll just have a nice relax together. Speaking of the Sunday papers, I never get them anymore, actually. Who still gets the Sunday papers? I, I, I used to get the Sunday papers, but I always felt it was a job. It, it was like a big task that I had to kind of... Because there's tons, isn't there? It's like four novels. And you have to sit there and wade through, and you get through all the news, and then there's some other bloody thing to read. Oh, no, I've got to read all the literature reviews. And it, it becomes like a task then, like a challenge. You need to read all of the paper and so you're there like at quarter to 11 at night <laughs> trying to read the last of the reviews section or whatever or or some such nonsense so i i stopped getting them i i think if you're going to give me that much newspaper give me it on saturday morning then i've got the whole of the weekend in order to read the thing don't give me it on sunday when i've got to be up for work on the monday morning it's just you know it it, it gives it turns sunday into what should be a nice relaxing space-filled day into this gargantuan monumental chore so um yeah ditch the sunday papers actually get yourself uh get yourself a a a glass of wine or a cuppa or whatever and and go with that as well sod the sunday papers with all your massiveness yeah so no more sunday papers that's good and um i just got on the scales actually I just got on the scales. <laughs> I'm, I'm doing this weight loss thing because I want to be beautiful within the year. Um, and my mum says I'm beautiful the way I am. So that's nice, isn't it? That's nice. Somebody thinks so. So <clears throat> you'll remember I, I started and just before my baseline day, I was about 212, 213 pounds. And then on the base day, it dropped to an unhead of 210 um, which was just the scales way of, of tricking me so that the week after, even though I've really lost weight, I was at 210.8, the scales are like, hey, fatty, hey, fatty, you've put a pound on, fatty, some kind of diet, this is fatty, you're going in the opposite direction, man, the opposite direction. So the scales were just kind of um, messing with my head, but I think really, despite the scale saying 210, I was really around about 212 and a half. Well, I dropped down to two ten point eight the week after uh, last week, and I've just got on again, and now I'm two oh eight point six. I've lost two point two pounds in the last week, so that's good, isn't it? Because I was only aiming for one, and uh, so I'm bang on target. And I have to say as well, the the thing that I've designed for myself is so easy to do. It's like falling off a log, and now I'm sure. Anyone who's tried to lose weight knows how hard it is, but this is so easy. So the reason it's easy is because I've designed it especially so you never have to use your willpower. It really does my head in that 
people create things where you're meant to use willpower in order to succeed. So you have to be kind of superhuman with superhuman wells of willpower in order to get to the other side. What a load of old rubbish. I mean, <laughs> and, and the thing is as well, you always feel like a failure afterwards because... You you didn't you didn't do this this thing of will that you meant to have this kind of superhero where your special your special talent is willpower, and uh, so you feel like shite at the end of it as well as not having accomplished your goals. So it's kind of a double whammy. So I thought, what a, what a load of old rubbish that is because willpower doesn't work like that, does it? Willpower is like. It's 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 like a well, isn't it? And it runs out. If you keep on going to the well, you're gonna have no willpower, and then you're gonna stuff your face with cake. At least that's my experience, anyway. So I thought, no, that the only sensible way of doing this is to kind of ensure that there's no willpower needed. So that's what I've done. Uh, or where there is willpower, it gets kind of um, it can it gets kind of replenished very quickly. So. Is, is is how I've been losing weight. So if you want to do it um, as well, then um, give me a shout. And you can follow this. I mean, my friend Mark is doing a slightly different plan. I don't know what his plan is, but he's actually losing weight as well. Remember I said we're both going to be there with our Speedos <laughs> on New Brighton on New Brighton Beach. So um, let's, let's find Mark's... Because he sends me a photograph every Monday, you see. Um, of his feet, <laughs> he sends me a photograph of his feet um, standing on the uh, standing on the scale. So he started off at sixteen stone six, and now he's sixteen stone four and a half. So uh, he's going in the right direction as well. Well done there, Mark. So I'm going to tell you the willpower free way to lose weight. Okay, and there's there's only like there's only like five steps really. So. The first thing that I've noticed really helps me is something called intermittent fasting. And that basically means that you, you're only eating for eight hours of the day, which sounds, it sounds mad until you realize that all it really means is that you cut out breakfast. There's a lot of research which says that the more calories you take in at breakfast, um, the, the more calories you take in during the day. So cutting out breakfast really helps, and you get used to it. It's actually quite a, a recent invention, apparently, the breakfast. Uh, I think the Victorians brought it in, but um, yeah, it's not something we've had through our evolutionary history. And as long as you keep yourself busy in the morning, um, one o'clock, which is when you do eat, comes around really quickly. So I eat between one and nine. Depends when you go to bed, really, I suppose. If you go to bed a little bit earlier, maybe you'll eat between 12 and eight. But the key thing is you don't have breakfast and you start around one or whatever works for you and then you've only got eight hours to fit all your calories in so that's the first step really that helps an awful lot and the thing is that even though it requires a little bit of willpower you know that that's going to be you, you know that you're kind of one food one food it's going to be satisfied by one o'clock so it's not such a bad thing or 12 if you start earlier so that's the first step. The, the good thing about it as well is there's a whole host of other health benefits from doing intermittent fasting because your body's not processing food for 16 hours of the day. And so you've not got all these insulin spikes. It's not doing all, all other sorts of stuff that it has to just to process all your digestion and everything. So it, it gets on with other stuff. And some of that other stuff includes rejuvenating cells and, and, and all that. So there's a whole host of health benefits that have been researched just to skip in your breakfast and only eat in for eight hours a day. So that's your first step. Your second step is you need to work out how many calories, given what your weight is at the moment, will lose you a pound a week. Because um, I'm finding that a pound a week, I thought what I'd do is I'd start off with a pound, then I'd drop to half a pound, then a quarter of a pound, just so that it was getting slightly easier all the time and then I'd reset. But it's so easy, I think I'm just going to stick to losing a pound a week. Um, so you need to calculate that what it, what that is. I use a, a little app on the phone. It's got a website as well. And it's called MyFitnessPal, but I'm sure there's others. And you just type in what your weight is, what your target is, like I want to lose a pound a week. And it tells you how many calories a day. Simple as that, really. And then the third step is that I then divide that into four chunks. Because I think if you're giving like, I'm on, what am I on at the moment? 1,840 calories a day is what I'm allowed. So if I'm just trying to stay within that big number, it's easy for me to kind of 
blow it all early on and then be left with hardly anything and then I feel in pain you know I'm feeling like I'm being deprived and as soon as you feel like you're being deprived your willpower is being tested you know that's how you know and um, because it's calling on you to be disciplined and discipline's a load of old rubbish so instead what I do I divide it into four chunks so I then know that when I actually eat at one o'clock I've got 460 calories to spend on that meal and uh and then I'll eat again at four or thereabouts, you know, whenever I start to get peckish again, half three, four o'clock, I'll have something else. And um, that's, that's again, I've, I've got 460 calories to spend on that. And then I'll have me, me tea around about seven, half seven, which gives me another 460. And then me personally, I'll finish off around about the nine o'clock mark where I'll have me treats, you know. So this is the fourth thing. So three of them are for kind of, I have two meals and then and then a little bit of something in the middle, but I've I've assigned calories for those. But the fourth chunk is because you still got to have your treats. I mean, I had a Snicker yesterday, and I actually because of the way I, I spent my calories, I had two Snickers the day before, and I'm still losing weight really quickly as long as I'm spending, and you know as long as I'm budgeting that 460 calories for treats, I'm okay, and so that really works for me. So it might work for you as well. Um, yeah, so the fourth step is eat at one, four, and around seven-ish, and the rest are for snacks. And then a stop around about nine. And the key thing is that you have to count your calories. Now, one thing that does help me is that when I have my meal, I try and ensure that, well, I don't try, I do ensure that at least half of the calories for that meal, I don't bother with this on the snacks, but like the meals, like I have a big homemade soup that I kind of live on. Um, I ensure that at least half of them are um, are protein. You know, I'm veggie, aren't I? I'm I'm, I'm pretty much vegan, but not quite because of the jockey. Um, but I'm 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 veggie, and I'm quite a strict veggie because I don't have cheese and um, I don't really have eggs. And when I have cornflakes, I have almond milk. So I'm I'm very close to vegan, really, but I'm not. Um, yeah, so I have I have like beans, I have like butter beans, kidney beans, pulses, stuff like that for my protein. But the protein fills you up, and that's another anti-willpower device, you see, because the more that you're filled up, the less you're going to be hungry, and the less you're going to be hungry, um, the, the, the less willpower you're going to use. Although I have to say, it's pretty hard to be hungry when you're fitting in 1,840 calories into just eight hours. So the hungry bit comes in the morning, I suppose. You have little pangs of hunger, but you know you're going to get fed um, by by one o'clock. And so it's not so bad, you know, there's going to be an end to it. So that's how I'm doing it. I'm finding it so easy that even though I thought that I'd lose a pound and then I'd slacken off my calories, so I only had to lose half a pound and so on. It's just too easy to change. So I'm going to carry on. And um, if I'm still finding it easy... Um, in 14 weeks, well, 12 weeks time from now, really, I'll have lost a stone, which is great, isn't it? Um, yeah, so let me know if you try it. Um, let me know if you've got any questions on it. You can uh, write to me. I'm at al at parrysongs.co.uk or you can get in touch over on the Facebook page. Um, yeah, just have a, have a search for us on Facebook and get in touch. Let me know what you're doing. In terms of like um, the week ahead... Um, you might have seen this if you're on my mailing list, but I'm doing a, a collaboration, a collaboration with a lovey type. And the lovey type is um, Sarah Lowe. She's a playwright and she's an actress. And she's come up with these fab monologues, uh, which she calls modern myths. And it's um, it's all sorts of kind of modern characters, but kind of within the framework of uh, fairy tales. Let's see if I can... Uh, if I can, if I can find it for you, so I can tell you a little bit more. But it's it's at eighty one Renshaw Street, um, in Liverpool, and I'm telling you this because I'm I'm going to be basically singing um songs in between her stuff. So there's all sorts of like story type songs which kind of fit in with what she's singing about. You know, I can't I can't find the little blurb that I've got for it. But it's eight pounds. You pay on the door, so you don't have to get tickets in advance or any of that. I don't have to signpost you to any kind of um, website where you buy your ticket. You just come along um, on the 19th or the 20th. It's on for two nights only. And you'll be able to hear me singing along in between some fantastic, um, really great monologues by Sarah. And I know you're going to enjoy them. Oh, here we go. 
is the bleb, meets Chanel, the footballer's girlfriend with a big secret, Bianca, the stepdaughter from hell, Kaylee, the Liverpool girl who meets her hero, and Scarlett, the bride-to-be, but who is she marrying? So they're the monologues of Sarah Lowe's. It's going to have the songs of me. It's on the 19th and 20th of July at 81 Renshaw Street in Liverpool. And it all starts at 7.30. So get there a bit earlier than that because we'll kick off at half seven. And it's eight quid on the door. A bargain at twice the price. <laughs> so um, yeah, that's my little <laughs> that's my little sponsor bit. You know how popular podcasts have the sponsor bit. That was mine. That was my little ad. What else has been going on uh, this week? I read a really good article, actually. Um, if you Google, excommunicate me from the Church of Social Justice, there was a, a great article of that on something that's really been bothering me for a while. Not just in, in the social justice movement, but um, but in wider society as well. And we saw an example of it, actually, this week, too, in the news. But it's about the kind of bullying culture, um Especially, you know, with if if you part if you're an activist yourself, you know, if you're part of that world, it's always felt to me as though many people within that world are kind of crusaders seeking out heretics to crucify, and I've really been uncomfortable with the way people treat each other, um, really aggressively when it's it, it's meant to be a movement of love and justice and and modeling the kind of wonderful world we could have and it's it's often an absolute hellhole for people and um this article really nails it it's by um it's by someone called Francis Lee um not the Francis Lee used to play for Man City I have to add <laughs> Francis Lee is now a social justice warrior um no it's a different Francis Lee and what they're talking about is this kind of um they're based in Seattle and very, very silencing is what they're talking about. That people are actually scared just to say what they think because they're going to get jumped on and shamed and bullied. And it's it's really an interesting article about the culture of activism and what's happened within activism because it it just looks it looks crazy to me really in terms of you know I'm old enough to remember um, how things used to be maybe a, a little bit different and. Okay, there was always this kind of strand of, you know, seeking purity, I suppose, um, which is maybe why the left splits into so many splinters all the time. But it just seems particularly aggressive and vicious at the moment, and um, it doesn't feel a space that I feel happy to be in, even though I'm I'm a, a lefty and I write political songs, and it's it's too often a place where people are just shaming each other and treating each other really, really badly. So... I think this article's worth reading. So if you Google this, it's called Excommunicate Me from the Church of Social Justice. And I'll just read you a quote. It says, Discipline and punishment have been used for all of history to control and destroy people. Why is it being used in movements meant to liberate all of us? We all have made serious mistakes and hurt other people, intentionally or not. We get a chance to learn from them. When those around us respond with kindness and patience... Where is our humility when examining the mistakes of others? Why do we position ourselves as morally superior to the lowly unwoke? Who of us came into the world fully awake? I think it's a great piece. I I do. I think it's really worth uh, reading. And the other thing as well, it's not just who of us came into the world fully awake. Who's given us the God-given right to decide who's awake awake or not? Who has given us this um, right to decide whose opinions are worth listening to? And whose opinions need to be bullied out of them. I find it a really um, dangerous trend in in silencing people. And I'm not just talking about um, people on, you know, quote, our side. I'm talking about this just as a, a, a way of kind of handling political discourse. I mean, I'm, I'm old enough to remember the, the halcyon days when the only people who were no-platformed um, were fascists, you know. Um, and no platform means that you wouldn't share a platform, you wouldn't allow um, a, a fascist, because they were so especially dangerous um, to spread their stuff to people. You wouldn't give them a platform, basically, in order to do so. So if someone was uh, a, a fascist, then you wouldn't give them a platform to talk their stuff because they were so especially dangerous. But for everybody else, we would listen to what they had to say. And nowadays, it seems to me, is that... 
<laughs> lots and lots of people are no platformed. Um, I was listening to a. Um, I only caught about ten minutes of it, and I'm hoping it appears on one of the BBC podcasts. But it was a show called uh, Split in the Sisterhood, and it was about it was about this kind of thing, but within the feminist movement, I suppose, um, and the different splits in there. And um, there was a feminist comedian whose show had actually been closed down by fellow feminists. Um, I think I'm not sure what the reason was now. I think it was because of her view of um, sexual imagery or whatever. So, I mean, maybe she has a, a different opinion on erotica than many feminists do. I just, I just, I don't know because I was driving somewhere. Um, my concentration was coming in and out, but I, I remember her saying this. And so you get into a position now where it's not just fascists who were getting closed down, but it's it's like feminists closing down fellow feminists. And there's a, there's a film out at the moment called The Red Pill, which has been shut down in Australia um, as hate speech. Now, I've actually seen the film, and I thought, personally, it had a lot to commend it. Um, you know, I, I thought it was a really interesting film. And, you know, whether one agrees with the points within that film, The Red Pill, or whether you don't, it was a film that was an exploration by a female filmmaker who self-identified as a feminist, who started looking into some of the um, some of the the problems that were being identified by um, people in the men's rights movement, and she wanted to actually go and look at some of that stuff. Now that's been shut down as hate speech by fellow feminists, and um, I'm, I mean, I'm, the two things that spring to mind when I'm talking about this just happen to be feminism, but it happens all over the left. I think that. You know, Owen Jones spoke out recently because he had some anxieties about Corbyn's leadership. Well, as you know, I'm I'm very strongly pro-Corbyn. Um, but the way he was treated, I thought, was was just awful. And, you know, what, what did Gandhi say? Be the change you want to see in the world. Well, let's start doing that, eh? Let's start being nice to each other. And not just to each other, but for people outside of our ranks as well. Let's model that same humanity that we claim to want to bring in. Uh, we claim it, but are we are we acting that way to each other? So, um, you know, I'm 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 tired of the shame culture. It's it's grinding me down. It's it's meaning that I don't engage as fully with activism as I I could be doing in what are potentially exciting times because I find that it's such an it's it's there's so often that it it, it turns into an, a a place of nastiness rather than a place that is restorative. And being involved in something which is good for the world and which is meant is meant to embody things like love and hope and all these kind of things, brotherhood and sisterhood and all these kind of lovely things. Well, we have to model it. And while we were while we're on the lookout for people who have slightly different opinions to us, just so that we can have the pure joy of nailing them to a crucifix, doesn't seem to be. Um, fitting within that tradition at all and it's not just within activism either is it i mean let, let's be honest it's within society you know how many times are people outside of politics even who say something in ill-advised um and the response is always shame you know you drag them out you stick them in front of a camera you make them say sorry whether they agree with it or not whether it's a false sorry and and this forced sorry is is not about their learning. It's not about conversation. It's not about having some sort of dialogue around what they said. It's not about changing hearts and minds. It's simply about bullying someone who said something that you don't like. And granted, sometimes the things that they say are outrageous to you and outrageous to me. But, you know, I would love a different way of engaging with other human beings than simply telling them how wrong they are and dragging them in front of a camera and a news conference just to say how terrible they are and then coming up with what punishment we can give. You know, it seems like we always go to this place. And what I'd rather have is a discourse which says something like, when you said that, I felt this. Because, you know, I need respect or equality or these kind of values are important to me. And so, you know, I'd like to know what you think. 
uh, what you feel when I say those things. I'd like a dialogue rather than people basically getting hung, drawn and quartered. You know, how far away are we from taking our knitting to the guillotine, really, and, and having a lovely day out as we watch people's heads getting chopped off? And it seems to be a growing thing in, in our society. I first became really aware of it, really conscious of it, when I read John Ronson's excellent book, So You've Been Publicly Shamed. But um, yeah, if once you start kind of getting that awareness, it becomes increasingly uncomfortable. And this is a great article. So excommunicate me from the Church of Social Justice. Well, what do you think about that? I know a lot of you are involved in, in the political world. Um, <laughs> how many of you have your hammers and nails at the ready now with Alan Parry's name on them? Um, well, let me know, you know, um, get in touch. I'd like to hear your opinions on these things. Also as well, if you saw that film, The Red Pill, that might be an interesting jumping off point for a discussion. I thought it was really interesting. I thought it had a lot to commend it. Um, I didn't see it as hate speech at all, but if you did... Um, give me some specific um, things and maybe we can chat about it on a future podcast. Um, so, yeah, I've been babbling away on that one. Let's change the subject, shall we? Um, I saw something quite funny <laughs> on Facebook um, that I've been watching and then playing along with myself. Um, yeah, it's <laughs> it's, a, it's a lad called Daniel who's on my Facebook and he, he posted this thing where... <laughs> what you have to do is you have to replace the 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 <laughs> you have to replace the name of a famous film with the word arsehole. So you you just change one word and see how much fun you can have. So <laughs> here's here's some of my favourites. Um yeah. Double O seven, the man with the golden arsehole. <laughs> the Roll Dahl classic. This is my favourite out of all of them, this one coming up. Roll Dahl's famous James and the Giant Arsehole. <laughs> um, the never-ending arsehole. <laughs> um, 20,000 arseholes beneath the sea. Um, what's that one? Oh, Snow White and the Seven Arseholes. <laughs> Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Arsehole. And um, Schindler's Arsehole. <laughs> so um, I've been amusing myself with that. What, 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 what can you come up with there? So it's famous films and you can just change one word. To the word arsehole. You can do it with songs as well. Um, Candle in the arsehole. <laughs> Sounds painful. And um, uh, the Katy Perry classic, of course. I kissed an arsehole and I think I liked it. So send me your um, arsehole-related uh, song titles and movie titles. And I'll, I'll maybe read them out last time. But that gave me that gave me a bit of a giggle. You know, I'm, I'm, doing, a, um, I'm doing a declutter in my house. Uh, has anyone ever done a declutter before? It's really doing my head in because uh, I've got so much stuff. If I walk into a room, I'm pointing at about three or four things that I want and everything else I really want to clear out. So how do you go about it? Because the thing that's the thing that's getting in my way is some of this stuff I could sell and it would probably pay my rent for a month, you know. So it, it would make sense for me to sell some of this stuff rather than just ditch it or give it away because, you know, I'm not... I'm not, I'm not particularly rolling in cash, as you know. So I thought I'd try and declutter it, but eBay just seems a massive pain in the backside. And um, I was looking to try and see if I could actually outsource it either to a friend, but there's no local eBayers who, who could do this stuff and take a commission. And then I was looking for some companies who do that, but they really want stuff that's over 50 quid and not, not everything um, that I've got is. And they take a massive commission as well, actually. So another idea I had was a car boot sale. So if anyone's had any experience with getting rid of a, a load of stuff and getting a few bob for it um, to pay the rent for the next month, then let me know, you know, have you done a car booty and how do you price it up? And just any ideas really, because I'd like to kind of, uh, I'd like to kind of get rid. Am I talking fast again? I think maybe I just, once I get going, I start talking fast. I thought maybe it was kind of a red light syndrome when the, you know, when the microphone's on, but it probably isn't, is it? It's probably just me. I'm probably just a yabberer. I'm just ticking things off of what I've said I'd talk to you about. Yeah, I've been doing a lot of connecting communication this uh, month, which feeds into some of the stuff that I was talking about in terms of the Church of Social Justice. And um, I've been at the Home Office, and I've been teaching them uh, connecting communication. 
And the good thing is that I've um, <laughs> I, I took some puppets um, in order to illustrate some points. So I had a puppet on either hand. And of course, the home office is quite a serious place. It's the home office after all. And uh, I, I really enjoyed reaching into my bag and um, emerging with a puppet on either hand. I do like puppets, as you can see, even on the graphic for this podcast, there's me and Morris, my monkey, technically a chimp. Doesn't like me calling him a monkey because he's really an ape. But nonetheless, um, yeah, so that was fun. And I did the same back at the Kindfulness Coffee Club up in Bootle as well. I went to finish off teaching them um, connecting communication. So if anyone wants me to do that, uh, there's a couple of ways you can. Drop me a line. Um, I've actually got a website for all this stuff. If you go to empathicchange.com, that's empathicchange.com. And you can drop me a line there. There's a little contact sheet and you can see everything that I'm up to. So if your organization would like to learn this stuff, it basically is a way of teaching you how to ensure that everybody's needs get met in a situation where people would otherwise be butting heads with each other and how to do that in a way where there's no conflict. Um, So it's really, really powerful. It's really life transforming. And in terms of the feedback I got last week, you know, someone from the home office wrote that, you know, they think it should be compulsory for all staff. And um, someone else as well said that um, it'd given them closure on a particularly painful time, you know, that they'd carried some resentments over. So it's really, really powerful stuff. You know, I didn't devise it, but I am teaching it. And um, I think it's a, a really good workshop. So if you'd like that, then get in touch at empathicchange.com. But I've also got an event that I'm doing for the public as well here in Liverpool on Hanover Street. So if you're interested in that, it's um, 10 till 1 on Saturday morning on August the 12th. Um, and there's um, there's only a few places on that. So if you're interested, I would I would book your place. It's only a tenner, um, which basically covers the cost of the room and some expenses. So that's at ticketor.com. You spell ticketor, the word ticket with O-R on the end. So ticketr.com forward slash parry events. So that's ticketor.com, ticketor.com forward slash parry events. Go there and you can book your space. And I'll teach you this three-hour introduction with puppets. Oh, I, I won't be leaving the puppets behind. Don't you worry about that. So come for the puppets, stay for the life transformation methodology. And um, yeah, it's fun and it's interesting and it changes your worldview. And uh, it's, I really enjoy doing that as well. So um, so give us a shout if you want that. You can go to ticketor.com forward slash parry events and get your place sorted. And I'll see you on August the 12th in person. Um, yeah, what else has been going on? I've had a question from uh, Crispin. Um, Crispin's asked me how I, get, how I got into acting. Because I do some acting as well, as you know. I was in uh, Welcome to Paradise Road. I've done some other stuff at the Unity, like A Thousand Murdered Girls. So Crispin Jones has written, um, How Do You Get Into Acting? Well, it's funny, actually, because it was through the Woody Guthrie Folk Club. It was actually Woody's birthday on Friday. You know, Woody Guthrie, my musical hero. It was his birthday on Friday, um, which is good, isn't it? So uh, happy birthday, Woody. Yeah, it was through the Folk Club that I used to run um, because Keris Matthews um, on Radio 6 started talking about the Woody Guthrie Folk Club. So I noticed that we got a few new faces at the next one. And two of those new faces were people who run Bajesta Theatre in Liverpool, which is based at the Casa, you know, the Dockers place. And they saw me MC in that. And they approached me afterwards and said, you know, well, you might be good at acting. And um, I was a bit resistant, to be honest. I was like, I'm a bit shyer than you think, you know. I know I come across a certain way as if I'm quite confident but I'm a little bit shyer than than I make out so I don't know and they said well come along anyway come along come along to the group and um it was quite scary you know going into the group I was stood on the other side of the double doors and I was thinking should I just go home and I I didn't I pushed through them double doors and uh, there was a lovely group waiting for me and there was a lad there that I knew thankfully a lad called Adam um who's still a mate and um yeah, so I went to that group, and it, I think it did me the world of good, really. It, it brought me out of myself a little bit, quite a lot, I suppose. And uh, it was nice to have a community of people around me, which you get in acting. One of the nice things about it, you have this kind of group of people that are around you that you're meeting up regularly on a shared project. And I need to get that back in my life again, actually. Um, so 
I'm actually doing something to try and do that to it. I'll talk to you about in a sec. So yeah, I went there and I, I had an operation on my leg. So I, I couldn't take a full part. I had a small part in the first play, but I couldn't take a full part in it because I'd been missing too many rehearsals. But on my next fit one um, was the Pied Piper and I got cast as the Pied Piper. And I was a bit kind of kicking myself really because I didn't really want to be the lead um, I just wanted to be one of the gangs, you know what I mean? And uh, But it was great, it was good fun. And then I was in a couple of their other stuff, and then Michaela, who's part of that, was directing this play at the Unity, and she asked me to be, well, she didn't ask me to be in that, she asked me to attend the audition, and I passed the audition and got in there. And then I didn't do much for a bit, and then uh, I was casting Welcome to Paradise Road, which, as you know, won an award, you know, at the Page to Stage Festival. Um, and then went on with that again to do that in the Manchester Fringe. So, um, and in the meantime, I've always been interested in improv. I remember reading something, I can't remember what book it was now, but it talked about, I think it was a Malcolm Gladwell book actually. And it talked about when you look at imp- improvised theatre, like improv comedy, <clears throat> excuse me, even though it's all like without a script, there are actually rules that underpin it. And that kind of interested me, that kind of freedom with a, a, a structure underneath. And so I went to um, a couple of improprieties things. And then a friend of mine called Brendan started doing this thing called Improv with Friends and used to go to that quite regularly as well. And then I started going to Liverpool Comedy Improv. When that started, I went to the very first one there. Um, And uh, yeah, and now I'm starting off something myself, which is... um, I'm doing something next week, in fact, where I've got a cast of actors auditioning to be in a troupe where we're going to do something a little bit different, which is not just to do short comedy bits, um, but to do full 60-minute improvised plays, so no script whatsoever. And instead of like being in a scene and it's dying and you can kill it and do a completely fresh, unrelated scene, this, I think, is going to be, in some ways, more of a challenge. So... That's going to be interesting next week because I'm I'm going to be auditioning people next week um, for that troupe. And so hopefully that'll go well. And then I'll be part of a theatre company that has no script but will perform live in front of an audience with absolutely nothing. And yet together we'll co-create in front of your very eyes a full 60-minute level play. So I've been thinking a lot about that. I went on a training course in London recently with um, PGRAF from Austin, Texas, and I've been building up a kind of structure because you can't just go on and improvise for 60 minutes. It'll just turn out terrible. You have to have some sort of structure where you understand the basics of how story works so you know that if you're 15 minutes in, something structurally has to happen. So I've been working a lot on that, amongst other things, and I'm hoping to try that out next week. And... You know, within a couple of weeks' time, I should be able to then launch this brand new improvised theatre troupe that does full plays on the fly. So thanks for your question, Crispin. Anyone else got any questions, then then please do fire them in. I've been having a debate with me mate Julie. Um, I've known Julie for ages. Uh, we worked together in, in Heighton Library, um, which when I, I used to work there, you know, because when you work at a place, you start to hate it. <laughs> or I do anyway. I used to call it the big glass box bastard. It's a it's a big glass building, one of these new buildings that was put up relatively recently. So I, I can now refer to it safely as Heighton Library again. But I did used to refer to it as the big glass box bastard when I was working there. So I met Julie in the glass box bastard and uh, we've been mates ever since. And, you know, my comments about Sergeant Pepper, I gave her a nudge and said, you need to have a listen to what I say because I knew it would wind her up <laughs> because I was basically saying, wasn't I the... Um, I didn't really like Sergeant Pepper because I thought some of John's points... I mean, John's not on the album much at all. He's, he's he's on two of the first ten tracks. It's it's pretty much Paul and his backing band, which was John's criticism of Paul at the split-up. Um, but also, the other thing that John said was that um, Paul was increasingly doing grandmother music like Obla Di, Obla Da and stuff like that. And you can hear some of that. Even though they're great songs in and of themselves, they didn't really feel particularly edgy you know, music that you'd expect from a rock band. Um, so I made all those points in the last in the last podcast, and then Julie's come back to me, and she's she's I knew she would because she loves Paul, you see, 
And uh, this is what she says. So see what you think. I'd like I'd like to keep this debate going, the whole John versus Paul thing, because it's a legendary debate, isn't it? I have to say I love Paul. You know, it's not really a John versus Paul thing. I think I think it was for me, you know, going back a bit, because John was like speaking out on social justice issues and, and, and Paul wasn't much. Um but I've I've grown a huge appreciation for Paul since and I don't really have this big split. And I see John's flaws a lot clearer now I'm older as well. Um, you know, I think he could be a bit of a knobhead, couldn't he? And <laughs> um Yeah, so let's see what Julie says. Um She said, The very reason you don't really like Paul. I do like Paul. I do like Paul. <laughs> but she says, The very reason you don't really like Paul is one of the things I love most. His parlour songs. She's got that in quotation marks, which <laughs> I think expresses her disapproval with the term. His parlour songs. Um, she says they're interesting and interested. The story of people, funny and human. You know, like the um, Vera, Chuck and Dave stuff, I think she's referring to. And destined from the start to be part of our musical consciousness and tradition. Sing-along songs, I love them. She says, John tells the story of John. That's interesting, isn't it? So Paul's telling the story of all of us, she thinks, as an observer, an interested observer. And she says, John is telling the story of John. Which she says is, is great, just different, but Paul's an observer. And then she sums it up by saying, basically, lad, you're wrong. <laughs> so Paul's dominance on Sergeant Pepper makes it great, she said. So what do you think? Because... See, I think I think Paul gets twee sometimes, you know, on some of these kind of songs, um, like Obla De Obla Da. It gets a little bit twee. I think things like Lovely Rita Meter Maid is is getting in there. When I'm 64, I think it's a lovely song. Don't get me wrong, but I think I think Paul does venture into the twee, and it's often, you know, John throwing some grit into the honey that that brings it back to something closer to what you might regard as edgy. And um, funnily enough, I you know, I, I say that, but on other songs, you know, like on, um, you know, Julie mentions Revolver as well in her text um, and how she likes Paul's influence on that. But when you look at the Revolver track list, it's different. You know, they're, they're not twee, they're, they're melodically beautiful. And I think that's when Paul's at his best. But for me, he does go into the twee side and I get a bit, you know, um, come on, John, let's, 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 let's rasp this up, you know. Um, but, but songs like uh, For No One, for instance, you know, that absolutely beautiful song. I really love that song, melodically gorgeous. So I'm not talking about Paul when he's like that. Uh, I'm talking about Paul when he goes in for some of the kind of Sergeant Peppery stuff. But what do you think Julie thinks? Basically, lad, you're wrong. And... Um, I obviously think I've got a point. That's why I've said it. Um, but I don't. I don't dislike Paul. I think Paul's a genius. In fact, it really gets on my nerves whenever Paul does something that you get the Facebook warriors coming on and slagging him off, um, telling telling everyone that he should stop. No, he bloody shouldn't. He should carry on because he enjoys it. He clearly loves it. He's like Doddy, isn't he, Paul? He's like the musical equivalent of of Doddy. He, he keeps going on because it's him. It's who he is, and I think we should all be who we are. So I do love Paul. I just, um, I just think that Lennon-esque rasp of grit and, and cynicism <laughs> is really important. And I think Paul does, I think John's right, Paul does sometimes venture into the twee. But at the same time, if all we had was the grit and we didn't have those melodic beauties, then uh, I think we'd have lost an awful lot from the Beatles sound as well. So where do you stand? John versus Paul, Sergeant Pepper, twee versus melodic. Is uh, John just interested in the story of John? Whereas Paul is interested in the story of all of us. Some good points, good points from Julie, I thought. Um, so dive in and let me know your view as well. I think I've told you everything. Oh, I went to the doctors, actually. I'll tell you this on closing, because this is a bit of drama. Um, I've, I've been having... Um, you wouldn't notice as a listener, um, but I've been having um, some kind of... You know, singers know it when their voice isn't quite right. So I've been having some some things around that, and um, I spoke to a mate of mine called Kaya, who you might know. She's a vocal coach and a singer. And when I was having trouble about three and a half years ago, I went to Kaya and said, what do you think's going on here with my voice? And she said, it sounds like some sort of silent reflux, you know, um, like almost like an indigestion thing, and it's burning your vocal cords. 
And I thought, okay, yeah, that's good, because I was fearing it might be a little nodule or some sort of vocal injury. And I went, swallowed the old camera like you do at the ENT thing, and she was right. You know, she diagnosed me right just, just by using her ears, which is an act of genius, isn't it? So, um, yeah, so I went to the doctors then, found out that she was right. But I've been having a problem again this time, so I had another chat to her. And we did this over Facebook because she's based in London now, so she didn't she didn't listen in. But she said, you should really go to your GP um, because, you know, ENT and all that sort of stuff. You might actually have a vocal injury, like a little lesion on there. And then, you know, depending on what it is, you're going to need to care for it. It's slightly different in order to come back, you know, as, as fit as ever. So I waited a little bit and uh, had other things to do. And I went to the GP this week. And they wanted me in on Thursday, you know, straight to the hospital, kind of rapid response, which was a surprise because you normally have to wait ages, don't you, for these things. And I was going to try and push for quick by saying, you know, look, I'm, I'm a singer. This is kind of my living. And uh, yeah, they wanted me in on Thursday, but I'm doing a show on Thursday. So I didn't want to be swallowing cameras on the same day as a show. I had a show the night before. And uh, so I said no to the Thursday and she kind of fought me on it a little bit, the doctor. And then she agreed that I could go on the Monday afterwards. But apparently the reason that they were very keen for me to go in, um, which is not as alarming as it might sound, is apparently I tick a red flag there for um, for some sort of cancer, um, unexplained hoarseness and all that sort of stuff. Um, so she was, she was hesitant about sending me because she obviously doesn't think it is that. But um, yeah, so that's where I'm going to be, um, let's see, a week tomorrow, swallowing a camera just to make sure that everything's okay on that front. I'm pretty sure it's going to be okay on that front, but uh, good that I'm getting in quickly because whatever it is, um, someone's going to be having a little nose at my vocal cords and just get me back on track again. As I say, you probably haven't even noticed any difference because... Uh, it's, it's something I'm noticing myself, you know, just that you... I suppose it's like a an athlete, isn't it, who's running just as fast pretty much, but is noticing like a, a muscle twinge. Well, you know, I don't have any muscles as such, but I'm noticing the same in terms of my vocal cords. So I'm getting that checked out. But that was a bit of a surprise when uh, when when she when she said that, because I wasn't expecting that at all. And I think other than that, I've, I'm, I'm out. So if you want to come and see me and see Sarah's stuff on Wednesday and Thursday, please do, um, because it'd be lovely to see you. Um, her monologues are great, and I'll be singing a few songs in there as well, interweaving um, between each monologue. It's going to be a lovely night out. It's going to be expected to be uh, nice and, and full as well, because her last play sold out many times. In fact, her last play was an award winner as well. Uh, an Afternoon with Bruce Lee won the Best Play Award, um, at the uh, Page to Stage Festival the year before the play I was in won Best Play Award. So, um, yeah, so we're both Best, best Play Award winners. <laughs> so come along and see us. It should, be, it should be really, really good. And again, if you want to learn connecting communication from me, um, you know, August the 12th is when it's happening in Liverpool. Just go to ticketor.com forward slash parry events. Well... That's 48 minutes worth so far, folks. So I think the weather's starting to get blue sky up. It doesn't get too hot. Um, I think I'll bow out and leave you to your Sunday papers if you've got the chore of reading them. And uh, I'll see you next Sunday. So I'm going to play you out with this week's Song of the Week. Tatty, bye! Man by man, call me that father. He nods unspoken as I bring the call. At 14 years old, I'm a boy and a minor. But this kind of labor, it sure takes its toll. Big boys dig for as far as you see Every day is a fight with the cold I'll tell you the cold winds as often as me For years 
is on the ground for the deepest of friendships The pals who know but a voice in the dark You'll never know trust till your life depends on it But this kind of labor it surely is its mark Day is a fight with the cold. I'll tell you the cold winds as often as me. Now I look back on my life as a minor, the backbreaking soil and the heat down below. And we share the tears and the fears and the struggles But this kind of labor is all that I know Ding, boys, dig for the cold, it is stubborn Ding, boys, dig for as far as you see Every day is a fight with the cold I'll tell you the cold winds as often as me Ding, boys, dig for the cold It is stubborn Ding, boys, dig for as far as you see Every day is a fight with the cold I'll tell you the cold winds as often as me Every day is a fight with the cold I'll tell you the cold winds as often as me